And uh, we, we will be using the same text at least one more Sunday. I don't know how long. But today's title is His Peace. So there, there are three occasions in this text that he says, peace to you. So with that, keep that in mind as, as I read these verses for us one more time and try to notice. Put yourself into that, that, that situation. And let me read these verses for us. Mary Magdalene came, announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he has said these things to her. So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you re- retain the sins of any, they have been retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger into his place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. After eight days his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them, Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach here with your finger and see my hands, and reach here your hands and put it into my side, and do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. Therefore many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing you may have life in His name. Amen. Today I would like to speak to you on the theme of His peace. Like I said in the beginning, as I was meditating on this section... I've noticed that repeated refrain, refrain last week, I have seen the Lord. Everybody was saying that. I've seen the Lord. I've seen the Lord. Likewise, I've also noticed that the reason Christ's repeated greetings to his disciples in this post-resurrection account. Peace be with you. When you look it up, obviously this is written in Greek. It really means peace to you. And the Greek word, many people use the name Irene. That basically means peace. Jesus is a Jewish man. As you know, he was hanging on the cross. He said, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. He didn't speak Greek on the last 
moment of his life, but he was speaking, quoting the Bible verse, yet he was speaking Hebrew slash Aramaic at the time. So, peace to you, as you have seen three times, when you go back and find that phrase in the Hebrew Bible, as you know, peace is what? Shalom. And peace to you, plural, many times you will find in the Bible as Shalom Aleikum. Sounds familiar. If you have heard Arabic greeting, especially the Muslims, how they greet each other, they will say, Salam Aleikum. But it is basically the same word in Hebrew. Shalom, Ale means to you. Kum means to you, you plural. Shalom to you all. That's what Jesus is saying. So as I was meditating this, you could say Jesus showed up and said hi, because as you know, that is customary way of greeting each other in, in Jewish culture. So Jesus could have simply said, Hi, good to see you. I missed you three time, uh, three, for three days. Shalom to you. But what really piqued my interest was verse 21. This is John speaking, Apostle John writing. He shows up and he said, peace be with you in verse 19. And he shows himself, his hands and his side to his disciples and they rejoice. But verse 21 says, so Jesus said to them again. There is that word again. Shalom Aleikum. Peace be with you all. Again. Apostle John is not making a mistake but he's pointing out that Jesus said these words again to his disciples. And how unusual is that? You say shalom and then everybody's rejoicing after finding out that it is Christ. Jesus says to them again, peace be with you. And third time as you have seen, showing after eight days to Thomas and them to prove to Thomas that it is Christ. But he says again, peace be with you, peace to you. And I realized, and let me give you the conclusion of it in the beginning. I realized the reason Christ is peace. And peace sums up the essence of his person and the entirety of his work. All that he has accomplished in and through the crucifixion, death, and resurrection, what did he give to us? Peace with God, peace with others. So this must be more than, hey, how are you? I missed you. Good to see you again. But Christ is making a point. That is, he is giving his peace, accomplished and attained, to his disciples that he already promised in John 14, 27, 16, 33. And after the resurrection, he wants to bless his people with his peace. And that, giving and receiving the peace from Christ, who has achieved the true and lasting peace, should precede anything and everything that he says or does, or even church does in his name in the resurrection account. 
That is, before Christ commissions them and sends them away for the great commission work, he wanted to bless his people, his disciples, with accomplished, his accomplished peace that flows out of his finished work first. That is, as we say, being first and then doing. Before you busy yourself with God's work, receiving and enjoying the peace of Christ, I believe, must be our priority in our lives and in our church's life as well. Let's start with the definition. You know the word shalom, peace. It is more than cease fire. It is holistic welfare. But let me give you few words, the, the dictionary from dictionary, few words to give you full orb definition of this shalom, what that means in, in Hebrew word. That means following uh, these words. Being whole, intact, prosperity, peace, ease, unaffectedness. I like that. Unaffectedness. Unmolested. Unhurt, all is well. Prosperous relationship, peace, peaceful intentions, entering into peace, and salvation. You put everything together, you understand that only the risen Christ who just killed death could give you such shalom. In this sin-cursed world, nothing else and no one else will achieve, maintain, and bestow, is able to bestow such peace on you, except for this God-man, Jesus Christ. For thousands of years, these Hebrew people and Jewish people, they've been saying, hi, shalom, shalom, routinely, prayerfully, culturally, hoping for and wishing for peace, all that unmolested peace. But now, on the third day, on the very evening that he was raised, he comes to his disciples, and now he delivers that peace. And I want you to know, in Ephesians 2.14, says this, For he himself is our peace. So what that tells me is that I want that peace. I want that kind of peace. Unaffected, unmolested peace. But where you will find such peace is inside of Christ. Because Christ is peace. Don't try to look for this kind of peace from somewhere else or something else. It is like striving after wind. Christ is peace. And He is willing and able to give you all peace. Question is, do you desire such peace? I do. You know, peace is underrated in our culture. Why? Because we are preoccupied with next big thing, or accomplishing something, or getting somewhere that we desire, because we compare ourselves all the time with our friends and competition. 
I mean, we have to in a sense. But think about high school time. When you reach senior, junior, senior year, you take SATs and ACTs, and you are applying. You are busy. You go to college and. And you maintain that GPA, studying, and all of that. Very busy. Job search. Where and how are you going to find a job? Wherever that job is, you have to go and initial adjusting to that job. Right? A couple of years now, you have to learn new things, and and after that, what? Finding a soulmate. You have to date, or if I should say, court someone. Getting married—it's a busy thing. You are marrying into somebody's family, getting to know them, family, and after marriage or in the marriage, pregnancy. You have baby, babies. You are so busy, tired. There's no time for anything, and then they grow up. Soccer games, baseball games, whatever things that you have to shuttle them back and forth, and your career is advancing. I mean, until probably somewhere in the thirties and forties, early forties, our lives are just spent pursuing our dreams. We are so busy, and each and everything is such a new phase of our lives. Right? Marriage is a new thing. Pregnancy, giving birth, and rearing child, children is a totally new thing. So there's a shock each and every time you move to the next phase. It takes time to just just settle down. You know why there's a midlife crisis? Because midlife crisis when everything kind of settles down, dust settles, and you look back at your life, and you wonder, where did my life go? My career, my children off to college, empty nest. Now you think about your life. Even getting that midlife crisis, even that to that point, is a quite an accomplishment. Think about how many marriages fall apart in between, how many jobs that you lose, demoted, or even layoffs, and all that you deal with. That. What about children? So you see, as I grow older, more and more I think about peace. You could probably say that's happiness. What people are looking for everywhere, whatever culture, whatever religion, everybody's looking for happiness, and in that happiness, it includes some kind of peace. Let let leave me alone, kind of peace. But as you grow older, you will appreciate peace more and more. If you're a couple, everybody talks about. But if you're fighting all the time. With, is that unhappy relationship? What about your marriage? You may have built a nice house and living big and large, but if you are fighting at home all the time, I'm telling you that's very close to hell. No matter what you have accomplished. What about the the division between parents and children? If they're always fighting, what kind of life is that? You know, past four years really has been at least four years when it started. Four years back in my life, you know, you know how I came in. At the time, I was struggling with sleepless nights. 
It robs you of everything. You know, whenever, when I was young, when people say, I couldn't sleep, I couldn't sleep, I thought, oh, go to sleep. <laughs> what, what's the big deal? Go to sleep. I couldn't stay awake when I was young. But I'm sure every job has their own, its own difficulties. But pastoral ministry, it is stress. A lot of them is stress. And my pastor in Korea, my home church in Korea, he used to say, Preaching time is the happiest time because everybody leaves him alone. It is his therapy time. <laughs> you know, nobody, nobody says anything during sermon. It's a big church. I understand. So I remember, and Christian saw me next, next door, uh, next room. When you cannot sleep, people, think about what kind of rich person you are, whatever you're driving, what, nothing matters. Food, vacation, nothing matters when you cannot sleep, when you do not have peace. Now, we're talking about now inner peace, relationship-wise kind of peace, but also in human society, it requires enforced peace as well. As a preview, let me quote a paragraph from Dr. Innes' book. I mean, as I've been promoting his book, I don't know when I could go through that. But Christ and the kingdom of man, politics, listen to this. Politics is fundamental to God's governance over our lives. That is, God does not rule over people by spirit, sending angels. God uses human government to rule over us. Politics is good because God is good. This is very important. Politics is good because God is good, principally speaking. For people as fallen, God established government to punish evil, praise well-being, thus securing them, us, entire human population, in the private sphere of liberty in which they can live. Without that liberty, unmolested peace, pursuit of happiness cannot happen. Even the uh, you know, worst kind of human government is better than anarchy. That's what he's saying. To maintain human society and order in which people could pursue their lives, their private property, prosperity, piety, moral flourishing, it all requires stable government. That's why... Bible commands this in 1 Timothy. First of all, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions, and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority. Why? So that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Peace, inner peace. Relationship, peaceful relationships at home and elsewhere. Peace as society at large. They are all necessary for us to enjoy our lives and the life that God has given us. Without government, without peace, there's no charge. If there, the, bombs, the bombs are flying and dropping, there's no charge. 
So pray for the government as well. Now, getting back to the, the text, who's speaking? As I was thinking about this, what is his resume, Christ's resume? You have resume, bullet points, whatever you have accomplished. Jesus has his, his uh, resume in Revelations 1, 17 and 18. And I always thought it was interesting. Jesus says this, I am the first and the last and the living one. And here is his resume. He says this, I was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore. Oh, we know that. But he's reminding the early church saying, I was dead. And I am alive forevermore. What that means is, to achieve lasting peace, anything, anything, whatever, they have to deal with the problem of death. But Christ died. He was dead. And in His death, all human struggles and all the curses of this fallen world, they died in Christ and in His death. But He did not remain in His death, but He was raised that's why he says, I am alive forevermore on the third day, the first day of the week. And I told you that means it's a new beginning. That's right. It's the dawning of a new creation. That's his resume. Who could bestow true shalom? Jewish people could say all they want, shalom, shalom. Muslims, could say, they could say all they want, shalom alaikum, all they want. But only person... Oh God, who could bestow such peace is Christ himself because he alone was dead and he was alive. He is alive. And only the believers who are united with that Christ through faith will be able to participate and taste that peace of Christ. To whom is Jesus speaking here in this text? Three settings. First, to his fearful disciples. They were shot. Those who were shot because of the fear of the Jews. To them, Jesus says, peace. He says it again, in the same setting, same night, before his commissioning. But we'll come back to it next week. And third time, he spoke to doubting Thomas. So, first and third, fearful disciples and doubting Thomas, let's put that together. When you read other portions of the Gospels, it gives us complete picture, whole picture, or at least extra information, what was happening on that night. You read John, but let me supply some more verses from other synoptics. Matthew says this, Mark says this, Mary Magdalene came, she went and reported to those who had been with him, while they, the disciples plus, they were mourning and weeping. We don't see it in this text. They are just... Fearful. But Mark says they were actually mourning and weeping. Tells me there were women as well, other people as well. When they heard that he was alive, he had, he had been seen by her, they refused to believe it. Luke says this. Remember, they thought it was nonsense, they would not believe them. 24 11. But 37 says this. When Jesus appears and says to them, Peace to you, they were startled and frightened. Not simply by the Jews, fear of the Jews, but when Jesus appeared, they were startled and frightened. I mean, we could understand that. Thought that they were seeing a spirit or ghost. And after he shows them his hand and side, they responded in this way. While they could not believe it, because of their joy and amazement, he said, them, said to them, have you anything here to eat? So when you put that 
extra information together. This group of disciples, they were mourning and weeping. They were refusing to believe the report of resurrection. They were startled, frightened, but at the same time, joyful and they are amazed. A lot going on. But I will add one more, even though it doesn't say, I don't think it's a stretch to imagine that they were feeling very guilty when, they, when Jesus showed up. Why? Because in Matthew 6, 26, 56, all the disciples deserted him and fled. Luke 23, 49, people were seeing him watching these things at a distance. At the foot of the cross, only John was there, as you know. Right? Nobody was around. Rewind back to a few months or a few weeks ago. Listen to what Peter said. A few hours ago for Peter, a few probably months ago for Thomas. Peter, Matthew 26, remember what he said? Jesus said, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. All the disciples said the same thing too. Few verses down, you know what he's doing? Peter, he began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know the man. <clears throat> he said, I will die with you. Everybody's saying the same thing, nowhere to be seen. Thomas, probably a few months, if not years ago, John eleven sixteen, 16, he says this Thomas, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go to Jerusalem, also go, so that we may die with him. So, Thomas, doubting Thomas in this, in this scene, earlier he said, let's go to Jerusalem, we're going to die with him, with our master, rabbi, teacher, Jesus, we're going to die. We are together, we are in this together. And Peter, a few hours earlier, now a few days ago, he said, I will not deny you. But he was bringing down curses from heaven. I don't know that man. And Jesus shows up. What would you feel? I would feel guilty. Very guilty. What about Christ? If you are risen Christ, what would you do? Honestly speaking, you know what I would do? I would say this. Not peace to you. Everybody line up. <laughs> Everybody line up against the wall. Eleven of you. John, you're okay. I saw you. I saw you at the foot of the cross. You, you move. R right side. Rest of you lie down. Wouldn't you say that? Disciples, if they are feeling normal way, they are feeling guilty. If Christ is a normal person, he will feel anger or he'll be, he'll be angry at them. Everybody betrayed him. Everyone. Probably saying useless, worthless. You see. So when Jesus said, this is first words in John's gospel to his disciples. What did he say? Shalom to you. What does that tell you? This shalom to you is more than a greeting. It is a surprising and unexpected gift to his undeserving, weak, and sinful disciples from the risen and victorious Christ. His mercy, his love, his sympathy towards that group of men who do not deserve anything from Christ. Maybe a rebuke. But his peace. But when I was thinking about peace, I thought about three things, and I'll be very brief. Peace with God, peace with self, 
peace with others. My favorite verse is Romans 5.1. It says this, Therefore, having been declared righteous by faith, justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's my favorite verse. Until you come to Christ and to God through Christ and forgiveness offered in Christ, you may live your life normally like millions of people do. But you'll never know what your life is all about. You don't know what, where you are headed and you will die as a sinner fearing for what is coming in your deathbed. But only those of us who put our faith in Christ Jesus. But I want to say one thing though. Remember we were reading that catechism. How do we come to peaceful terms with God? Having been justified by faith. So if I ask you, how do you become at peace with God? What would you say if, if a non-Christian friend asks your question, what is the gospel all about? What is the church all about? How would you explain in essence? You would say, faith in Christ establishes that relationship. But I want to point out one thing. Sola fide is important. By faith alone, we are justified. That's, that's great. But what's the, the other side of equation? Repentance. That's what I want to emphasize. Do you want to have peace with God? It is not simply your faith in God or in Christ. You must emphasize repentance and faith and they are the same reality, distinct yet inseparable same grace in Christ. I say this because in Reformed churches, many people think repentance is works. So when, when you say repent, they say, why are you introducing works? Isn't it by faith alone? But let me ask you, why do you need to put your faith in Christ alone? Why? Why the need? Because you're a sinner. What does sinner need to do? It's, not more, it's more than agreeing with the simple facts. Faith. You have to repent. That's what I talked about last week. Jesus goes and says, repent. Peter says, repent. Paul says, repent. They should repent and turn to God. Repent and turn to God. That's why I wanted to highlight this thing to you. What does it require? Our own confession. Subordinate confession says, He requires of us repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Repentance and faith. Not faith and repentance, but repentance and faith. You separate them too, you are preaching false gospel. Not requiring repentance, that's why there's no peace. You agree with the facts, but there was no sincere repentance from your side. And the place where I left you, left with blank, is the confession. And let me read that section to you. You don't have to write anything down. But repentance unto life, 15th chapter of our own confession says this. Repentance unto life is an evangelical grace. The doctrine whereof is to be preached by every minister of the gospel. As well as that of faith in Christ. Did you hear that? If you say I'm reformed. I say I subscribe to Westminster Confession of Faith. Don't simply say that. But what that says is that repentance must be preached by every minister of the gospel as well as that of faith in Christ Jesus. I would say repentance first. 
Why do I need to repent? Why do I need to put my faith in Christ? That's how you establish or go into the peaceful relationship with God by repenting and believe. I want to point that out. Second is the peace with self. Many of us are already, you know, old or getting old. But there are many things that you need to come to terms with, with yourself. I remember when I was young, I was very insecure about my looks, right? Many people struggle with their looks, young people. You have to come to terms with your looks. As you grow older, you need to come to terms with your failures. You could say past, but not everybody has that, you know, bad past, like I was abused. But failures, what do you do? You know, I don't know. (laughs) I really don't know. I was just thinking about this section, but coming to terms with God in peaceful terms and with yourself is important. I will add one advice, though. This is not from the Bible, but something that I've heard. When you are busy raising your young family, you are too busy to think about anything else. But when you are out of that season in your life, you begin wondering about many things, such as, why did I choose this career? Or, why did I choose that man or woman to be my spouse? Things like that. When you start thinking in that way, alarm should go off in your head because now you are going into that dangerous territory. I've heard recently, hey, just a secular advice, but to me it was very, very refreshing. So let me share that. You could take it or leave it. It said, trust your old self. I'm not saying trust yourself over against God. But what that person was saying was, trust your old self was that when you go back, let's say 20 years ago, probably that was your best option that you had available to you. So after 20 years later, you're thinking, why did I choose that career, as many people do, in regret? Instead of keep second-guessing, I should have done that, I should have chosen that person over that person, let me now have a new marriage, and all that dangerous thinking. If you could trust your old self or rewind yourself back to 20, 30 years ago, That was your best probably option. If you're a Christian, probably prayerfully you have chosen that person or that job career. And I thought that was very uh, indeed uh, good, wise advice. Right? Instead of keep regretting my past choices, myself 20 years ago made that choice probably by God's grace with all the available tools that to me, seeking advice and whatnot. So coming to terms with that past, with the old self is, I think it is very valuable. It will pay dividends for you in coming years. The last one is peace with others. I mean, there are so many others. We could talk about family ones. We could talk about extended families, jobs and whatnot. But I, I cannot deal with everything. But for the families or at least close ones, I would say this. Job situation, I cannot, you cannot control. If your boss is mean, what can you do? Right? There's no peace deceiving type of a person. But at least within our family, in your immediate family members and extended family members, 
really accepting them as they are, I think is the key that unlocks that peace relationship with the other people, family members. Accepting them. You know, they rarely change. And forgiveness, forgiving them. Whatever the wrong they have done to you. You just got to accept them and forgive them. And I don't know how far I could apply that outside of your immediate family, extended family and beyond. Like workplaces, I don't know. I'm not talking about that. If it's up to you, we should remain at peace, the Bible says. But you acknowledge it's not, it doesn't depend on us. But what about our family members? What about your in-laws? What about your sister-in-law? What about your brother-in-law, your father-in-law, mother-in-law, whatever? Your parents, your children, your siblings. Accepting them probably and forgiving them would be the key. I'm done. If you're like me, we all desire this peace. But Christian experiences tell us obtaining and maintaining such peace is an ongoing struggle for you and me. We desire that. We possess that already in Christ. But to maintain that and to enjoy that peace is a uh, struggle, daily struggle for all of us. That's why I am so glad that Jesus spoke shalom at least three times. It was not a magical moment. It was not genie in a bottle saying, peace, done. Religion offers peace. No, in principle, yes, only in Christ. But you and I, we have to go into Christ. Into Christ. In Him, you will find His peace. Go to Him. I don't know what else to say. There's no magical formula. It is struggle on my own, in my own life too. And I am sure you are struggling with that peace too. But one thing is clear. That is, Jesus Christ is able and willing to give His peace. Peace of Him. Peace of Himself. His peace to you. To all who desire that peace. Coming in faith, hum- in humility to Him. He will say to you, and in his ministry, you know, his favorite departure language was this. Whenever he healed somebody, he always said this, go in peace. Go in peace. That's his promise to all of us. Let us seek it, obtain it, and enjoy it. Let's pray.